Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm going to proceed on the premise that you've followed every suggestion John or I have given you. You've got involved in every exercise. The goal is firmly established. You've got the picture. And now you're prepared to make your move. Now, this is what we call the moment of truth. This is where you exercise your natural risk-taking ability. We mentioned right at the beginning of this series, when we referred to that beautiful little baby, that baby is a natural born risk taker. So are you, so am I, so is everyone. 
Our problem is we have many shackles that we pick up as we move along the road. Fear holds us back from literally living our dreams. And that's the only kind of life that we want to be involved in. Let's choose to live the way we really want inside. Now, Abraham Maslow's pointed out that you're either going to step forward into growth or you're going to step back into safety. There's no compensation in playing it safe. Pay particular attention to this part of the You Were Born Rich program that has been designed for you. Let yourself get involved in it. Understand that fear is holding us back. Understanding and courage is going to enable us to break through that barrier. Now, do you know, everything that we've covered up to this point is going to help you understand this particular lesson. How many of you have set goals in the past and you come right up, but the fear inside stops you and you back away? How many of that happened to? Everyone has experienced that. You know, Abraham Maslow one time said, you will either step forward into growth or you'll step back into safety. That safety could be a prison. Is Janet Hall in our audience? Is Janet here? Janet was in a seminar recently, and she gave me a poem. And she said, would you like to have this? And I read it, and I said, yeah, I sure would. And this is the first time I've shared it with anybody, but I've, I don't know who wrote it. Janet might have wrote it. She didn't say whether she had or not. But at any rate, I got her name, and I marked it on the poem. And I am indebted to her for it because it's so good. In a moment, you will be too. Here we're talking about risks. This is, this is incredible. It says, to laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to a risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to others is to risk getting involved. To show your feelings is to risk exposing yourself. To place your ideas, your dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To hope is to risk pain. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken. It absolutely must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing does nothing and has nothing. You may avoid suffering and sorrow, but you simply cannot learn, feel, change, grow, live or love. Chained by your certitudes, you will be a slave. Only the person who risks is free. That'll take on even more meaning. 
as I uh, get into this lesson. I have here a letter, a newsletter, that come from a, uh, a very dear friend of mine. He's a minister in Atlanta, Jay Dishman. And I used to go and listen to Jay every weekend because I liked his ideas. I liked his way of communicating his ideas. He put them in uh, terms that you could take them and you could use them. He said, recently I visited Alcatraz prison. Once it housed the most hardened of criminal. Today it's open for tours under the direction of the United States Parks Department. Many men have tried to escape Alcatraz, but no one is known to have succeeded. As I listened to the tour guide explain the impossibility of escape, I thought of other prisons equally as confining as Alcatraz, but where the doors are never locked, no guards walk the walls, escape is encouraged and, in fact, possible. And he said, that prison is habit. You want to really be consciously aware of what you're doing. Is it a habitual thing you're doing every day? Is that what's controlling your life, your destiny? Or are you choosing and going in the direction of your dreams? He said, our habit of thinking about ourselves and our environment is either a jail or a paradise. We just have to look around us to see people who are rich emotionally and materially because they think and feel rich. We also see people who are laden with emotional and material debt because they think lack. Some are inspired with vision. Others, unfortunately, are encumbered by doubt. Some are moved by ambition. Others are paralyzed by fear. Some feel free to change. Others feel safer in monotony. Some reach for the mountaintops. Others huddle in the pits. Some seek opportunity. Others just wait for it to knock. The sad fact is that more people are confined by their thoughts than are freed by them. Negative thinking shuts us in a prison. But there is a way out. Jay goes on to say, the Apostle Paul said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul knew a lot about prisons, both physical and mental. He emphasized the mental prison by knowing we get exactly what we set ourselves up to experience. And that's exactly what John was talking about a moment ago. Now, before I get into the real important part of this letter, or of this particular lesson, I want to go back and touch on something that we covered a moment ago, but I didn't go into it too deeply. Now, let's stop and think. Here's your mind. Most of us are conditioned, and remember what conditioning is, nothing but a mass of habits, we're conditioned to take all of our information from our sensory factors. We have been programmed on a physical level from the time we're children. Look at me. Listen to this. Don't you see that? And that's how we're trained and conditioned to learn. So it's natural that we should let our material, our physical, or our results control our thinking. Now, we know there are two Polarities. 
I pointed out on this side is ignorance. And its polar opposite is knowledge. Now, an ignorant person does not understand that they can operate with their intellectual factors, they can choose the picture and get emotionally involved, and they can see the results come out in their life. They don't understand that they're letting their results control their thinking. So they set a goal, but then they look for the signals that it's going to happen. Where they start to look at the empty bank account, the wealth, it's no good. It's not there. We don't know if we're going to have enough money to keep going. And what we do at that point, we forget our goal and we start to worry. And then we doubt ourselves, and it's a negative experience. It's a psychic disease. That worry instantly and automatically turns into an emotional state called fear. Now, keep in mind, you're working with the central nervous system. It is the most incredible electrical system in the universe. This can happen in less than a millisecond, and there's a thousand of them in a second. That energy that we call fear, that negative energy, must be expressed through the only medium it can be expressed through, and that's this thing that you live in, your physical body. And it expresses itself in a negative vibration that's more commonly known as anxiety. I had someone talk to me here just about an hour ago about anxiety. That's the cause of anxiety. Worry isn't the cause. Fear is not the cause. Ignorance is the cause. Not knowing. Most of us are afraid to admit our ignorance. We're all ignorant. I admit my ignorance freely when it comes to doing some plumbing yesterday morning at about a quarter to five or something like that. I admit my ignorance when it comes to tuning up a car. I'm absolutely useless. In fact, I'm ignorant in most areas. I just know how to do what I'm doing. But I don't even want to learn how to do anything else. You do this well enough, you can hire somebody to do everything else. You know. Develop your strengths, manage your weaknesses. How do we eliminate ignorance? It's very basic and very simple. We study. We study and we develop understanding. And the understanding tells us, quit let your outside world, don't let your outside world, don't let previous or present results control your thinking. Visualize what you want, get emotionally involved with it. The understanding leads to faith and the faith manifests on the physical plane as health or well-being. You can literally transform the state of health that your body's in. I've seen people that close to death's door change it. I've watched people who are in terrible state literally change your life. I keep telling people how much I've changed, and I know that some of you, if you just here for the first time, you never knew me before, you'd say, wow, he's saying that's good copy for the seminar. Can you go talk to my mother? I got to the point where she was the only one that had even any hope that I'd ever wake up. I was like the principal that had two good reasons to go to school at 40. I mean, I was 26, and I still didn't know. John was exactly the same. Just an absolute mess. Beautiful person, but he didn't know it. I was, but I didn't know it. I want to take just a moment to introduce John's parents, because they're here today. They're sitting right over here. They're very good friends of mine. Why don't you stand up for a minute, Mr. Miss Canary? Let's give them a real good hand, all right?
They are two of the nicest people you ever want to meet. And Mrs. Canary is not at all reluctant to tell me to mind my own business or keep my place. I mean, she's always given me hell for something. But you know something? She's an honest person and so is he. And if you were to go talk to them, they would probably tell you that they just can't believe the change that's taking place in John. And it's done it through these ideas. And you know, whatever it is, you can change. And you know the beautiful part? They, they probably enjoy the change more than John does. <laughs> no, they really do. Because I think when changes like that take place in our loved ones, it makes us feel so good inside. You know? So not only do you benefit from the change, so does everyone else benefit from the change. Now, we're going to run through a mental process that every one of us have experienced. I'm not going to talk to you about something you do not know about. I'm going to talk to you about something you do know about. You may not know how to stop what happens, but it's happened to every one of us. It's happened to you. Now let's go back and draw on the information that we started with. In our little life, we had all kinds of ideas programmed in here. John talked about that quite a while ago. Then we began to think, what kind of thoughts would we think? We would think thoughts that were in harmonious vibration with the conditioning we already had. It's natural for a person to think X-type thoughts, X being the unknown factor. So it would apply for all of us. If our mind is programmed, our subconscious is programmed with X-type conditioning, it would make sense that we would think X-type thoughts. Why would we? Well, by thinking X-type thoughts, those thoughts, when they're mixed with the conditioning, set up a vibration that we're used to. That's called the comfort zone. It might not give you the results you want, and in fact, probably won't. But it's comfortable. Do you know you can be comfortable getting very inferior results? You can be very comfortable in a relationship you totally dislike. Why do you think people stay together that don't even like each other? It's comfortable. It's comfortable. It's also dumb. Yeah. Why do you think a person stays on a the job they don't like? comfortable. They're used to it. There's no risk. They know how to do it. Going after the bigger job might be scary. Keep thinking. Now, let's bring this ahead. We said this was bondage. It's prison. Now, this is what we call reason. Remember what we said here? We have sensory factors. You can see, hear, smell, taste, touch. Here we've got the person with the X-type conditioning, X-type vibration that produces X-type behavior, that produces X-type results. Let's say the X-type results represent $18,000 a year income. That's about where it was, isn't it, Al? 
Now remember we also said we have the ability, we have the ability to choose thinking this way or this way. We can think of how we can get what we want or we can spend time thinking of why we can't. We also said as long as an idea was just here in our conscious mind, it would have absolutely no effect on how we felt or anything we did because it's right here in our consciousness. Now, this is also called the educated mind or the intellectual mind. This is the part that reasons, that thinks. Now, do you know you could put a Y-type idea in there, Y being much better, much better than the old conditioning. See, this conditioning represents an $18,000 income. I'm going to use money because everyone can relate to it. Now, I'm going to ask Al, because we talked about Al here a little later, a little earlier. Al walked over at the break, and Al gave me a sheet of paper. Now, I haven't asked Al if he'd talk about this, because I want this to be spontaneous, and I also want it to verify something that I'm almost certain of. In fact, I'll be shocked if I don't get the answers that I'm expecting. I really will. Because I know so much about how the mind operates in the human personality. Al, let's let the Y represent the $500,000 income. And the X-type conditioning represents the $18,000 income. Now, Al, this conditioning caused you to do what you were doing to give you that income. All right? Did you like what you were doing, Al? Were, I mean, were you excited about it? Not 100%, no. Not 100%. I mean, you weren't really turned on with it. No. <coughs> Marge, were you excited about what Al was doing? No. <laughs> Al had an escort service. <laughs> that wasn't really fair, but they're pretty good heads, so I think they'll go along with that. <laughs> At least Al probably would, even if Marge wouldn't. <laughs> Marge, how did you like living on the $18,000 income? I didn't. You didn't. You didn't take many interesting trips on the 18K, did you? None. No, none. Bet you cooked in a lot, did you? All the time. All the time. Now, Al, let me come back to you again. How long had you thought about changing before you actually made the change? Quite a few years. I Quite was right. Few. I was right. Even righter than I expected. <laughs> Quite a few years. I never thought it'd be quite a few years, but at any rate, it was quite a few years. Did you think of doing what you're doing now? It did cross my mind, but I couldn't get myself up to. Couldn't get yourself up to do it, could you? To doing it. You got exactly. a brother that had been doing well for quite a few years, doing what you're doing now, haven't you? Mm -hmm. That's right. And what it was, I believe, was fear that was holding me back from going out. That's exactly what it was, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Now, you see, the strange part about this is 
The guy that I was praising for being the great manager is his brother. <laughs> Nino is Al's brother. Now, I have known Nino for eight years. Nino was in the first seminar I did when we moved from Atlanta to Toronto. And it was an odd situation. It was his birthday, and his wife made him go. <laughs> and he's told me on many occasions that he's not sorry he went. Wouldn't be very nice of him to tell me anything else at this point, would it? Right. Now, I know what Nino's done. Nino is a risk taker, no question about it. You both have the same mother and father, Al? <laughs> you both do. So you see, we often say a baby is a born risk taker. Here's two people from the same parents. One's out there taking the risk, making the dough, doing the big deals. The other's doing something they're not really excited about on 18,000 a year. Wife has to cook in all the time, doesn't go out. Didn't like what he was doing, wasn't excited about it. He's thinking about doing what his brother's doing for years, but he doesn't do it. Is that uncommon? That is not uncommon at all. Not uncommon at all. You've probably experienced that in your family. I see it happening every day. Now, now if we could keep focusing on this, the Y-type idea represents what you're doing now. And every time you thought about it, you probably thought about the compensation that it would give you. Is that correct? Exactly. You never dreamed it would be a half a million a year, though. Never did, no. Never. Have you any idea how many years it would take you to earn a half a million at 18K? <laughs> Several. <laughs> and your hair wouldn't be black and curly, my friend. It would be long and gray. Now, if you had any left. But you see, it's generally much better than you ever even think it will be. Now, I want you to keep thinking about Al's situation. Al is a real estate agent, and he, we've already found out that there's only 13 out of 20,000 that are doing a job that may be a little superior to his. So you could say Al is one of the best in the world at what he does. But he had to think about doing it for years. Now, when he was thinking about it, he probably thought about the nice cars, the nice trips. And when I was looking at Marge, I was just about blinded by the ring on her finger. I mean, I don't think you got that on 18K. You'd had a couple of years' wages for low in there. Now, let's come back again and focus here. Here's Al, X-type energy, X-type vibration, X-type behavior, X-type results, and he gets to the point where he's thinking, I think I'm going to do that. But before you can act on a Y-type idea, it must go through that part of your personality. You'll never act on an idea without passing it through here. It is the power that doeth the work. Remember that? John brought that out in the last lesson. And every time he went to impress that idea, the Y-type idea and the X-type energy, do you know what that did? That instantly and automatically affected his entire nervous system. It set up a chaotic vibration. We'll call it a foreign vibration. It's an X-Y-type vibration, mental conflicts, and instantly and automatically doubt, 
fear and anxiety just zoomed through his system. And it happened so fast, he didn't even know what was happening. When that feeling took over, he did not know how to control it, so he did what Maslow said. He stepped back into safety. Then he started to reason with it. Who needs the big cars anyway? Damn things just cost too much money. <laughs> What's Marge need that big ring for? A little band of gold is all she ever really needed. Those prices in those rich the restaurants are ridiculous anyway. Lights go down, the price goes up. <laughs> Kids are well fed and looked after. We're well dressed. We have a warm home. Besides, Nino loses every now and then, too. <laughs> I don't really need it. You've got to justify staying here some way. So you do something called rationalizing. That's rationing lies to your mind. Could Al break through this terror barrier? Not only could, but he did. But he did. Here's the X-type energy. Here's the Y-type idea. And he started to get emotionally involved. Did he create doubt, fear, anxiety? Yeah, he sure did. But I'm going to tell you what's different. He started to do it with understanding. Understanding. You know what that led to? That led to freedom. Now, I want you to watch here for a moment. What did Al say? He said just after he made the change, he came to the seminar. He started to use the tapes. I met young Christina yesterday, and apparently they're inundating her brain with the tapes. And I'm going to tell you something, Christina. It's going to pay off for you. It's going to pay off for you. John was mentioned about Brian's personality. I was happy to hear him say that. Brian's my son. <laughs> I was going to tell John it's in the genes, but I know that's not right. Do you know that I started to study these ideas just a few months before Brian was born? And a big change took place in my life just a few months after he was born. What did Zucker say? There's two classes, no class and first class. I made up my mind that I was going to program some ideas into their little minds that were a lot different than the ones I had programmed into mine. Now, this is saying nothing against my parents. They gave me everything they had. You cannot give a person something you do not have. We traveled, I had them fly in the front of the plane, first class. We would take them to nice restaurants to eat because I had to learn after I was an adult how to eat in a nice restaurant. I didn't know which piece of cutlery to pick up first. I would be asked if I wanted something. When the waiter or waitress first came, I didn't even know what the word meant. I would take them to beautiful resorts. I was going into, some, into New York one time, and I took Brian and Raymond with me. John and I had limos picking us up, stretches, taking us everywhere. If you're going to travel, you might as well be comfortable. I had Joe, the guy who used to take us in New York all the time. I said, Joe, I want to keep you for the day. I'm bringing the boys down. I want you to take them around. Had them drive them all around. I said, take them down to the battery. Wake them up. So he took them to all these places in the stretch limo. Moved to England. 
Moved to the United States. Always traveling. They always were in nice cars. I don't think they know what a used car means. Nice homes, nice clothes. That's all I give them. The homes they bought, they bought. They earned the money, and they bought them. Some of you say, oh, wow, yeah, it's Proctor's kid. He can afford to buy a couple of houses. You're right, he can. And not because he's my kid, because he's got the ideas. He and Leslie study it all the time. Colleen does what she wants. Raymond does what she wants. I never went to college. Nobody in our family ever went to university. So there was never much talk about going to university. Linda helped me with that idea. We didn't talk to them whether they were going to go. We talked to them where they were going to go. See, we had to make a choice. Which one do you want to go to? Not do you want to go or not. And if that's all you talk to them about, they make a choice. Colleen chose Illinois State. Raymond chose Wilfrid Laurier. Now he tells me he wants to be a lawyer. He's in his last year in Wilfrid Laurier. So I guess we're locked in for another four years, but I treat education, <laughs> I treat education as being almost sacred. As long as he'll go, I'll pay. Mm -hmm. Al didn't have the benefit of that kind of teaching, and neither did I. Do you know what he did? He did the same thing I did. He came to the seminar and he got involved with those tapes, and he listened to them over and over and over again. And if you're watching this videotape, don't think just because you hear what I'm saying and you can repeat a bit of it that you know it. You want to watch it over and over and over again. You got one of the most magnificent tools in your hand that you'll ever get your hands on. Now I want this to represent X-type conditioning in your life. Let it represent X-type conditioning. Let this represent the Y-type idea. Now watch. You're watching with your eyes. You don't see any change, do you, Rain? Al, do you see any change? No, I don't. You don't see any change. But your understanding tells you that it's not as dark as it was before I put the clear water in, doesn't it? You see, as you impress the bigger idea, the old conditioning becomes weaker. And as we keep doing it, it becomes weaker. And it becomes weaker. And it becomes weaker. But you see, our eyes deceive us. We can't see any difference. But every time we watch the video, every time we turn on the set, every time we review the paragraph with the tape, every time we watch this idea being explained, the old conditioning becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. And if we will keep impressing it, even although it appears that everything outside is remaining the same, our inner eye of understanding tells us it's not the same, that it is becoming weaker. Now, I want you to think, I want you to think, even although you experience some doubt and fear and anxiety, you understand what's causing that it's the change that's taking place in the mind. That's what Paul talked about, the renewal of the mind. Now, Thoreau one time said something that is so rich with truth. He said, if you will endeavor to live the life you have imagined, 
That's the new idea, the why idea. He said, any person who advances confidently, and you've got to do it with confidence, and that comes with understanding. Any person who will advance confidently in the direction of their dream and endeavor to live the life they imagined, they will meet with success unexpected in common hours. Now watch this, because one day you're going to wake up and everything will have changed. Just like that. And your life will never be the same again. That's the way it works. That's called awakening. And that's what else what life looks like now, isn't it, Al? Absolutely. How did John start out talking about Lee? He said, I couldn't give you what I've got because you got too much of what you got. But if you work with it just a little bit at a time, I guarantee you'll bust through that terror barrier that we have written there on page 49, and you will experience the freedom that I might add, you were born into. Have you ever wondered why you're attracted to the baby? It doesn't matter the race, the religion, the creed, the cult. None of those things matter. If a mother or father standing in front of you in the shopping line, you've got the strongest urge to reach out and touch that baby. Sometimes you'll want to hold it and just kiss it. <laughs> you will. Sometimes you cannot contain yourself, even though you don't know the people. You'll, you'll look hesitantly at the parent just, just so you can touch the little baby's hand and let it hold your little finger. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a strong magnetic pull? Come on. It was Kipling said that I love those little people. And it is no small thing when they who are so fresh from God love me. You see, we are created in a magnificent vibration, in an absolutely magnificent vibration, born risk takers, free. That conditioning takes place after birth. You can change it. it takes guts. It takes goals. Now, do you know something? You're sitting there watching this, and you're thinking, my God, I'm going to change something. I had a man telling me this here today at one of the breaks. He said, I'm getting so excited, I can hardly contain myself. He said, I just feel so happy. I said, you want to know something? You keep watching this, and you keep watching this, and you'll get happier and happier, and you're going to get to the point where you think, oh, I couldn't get any happier, and then you'll get happier. <laughs> That's exactly the way it works. Abundance is our birthright. Now, if you're going to change, you know there's only one time to do it? Right now. Right now. Right now. You see, Al Spazuri made a decision. Regardless of the fear, regardless of the doubt, regardless of the flack from his buddies at work, he made a decision. And he made the decision on page 50, at the top of the page that Gerda was talking about. He said, are you in earnest? Then seize this very minute what you can do, or even dream you can do, and begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Only engage and the mind will grow heated. Begin and the work will be completed. 
Emerson said, do the thing and you'll get the energy to do the thing. You can go busting through this and I'm going to tell you with this understanding that you've got, then that you're heightening, that you're developing higher and higher and higher again, you can turn it into an awareness and enthusiasm. It does not have to be a terror barrier. It can just excite the daylights out of you. In our company, we have a plan. We have a plan. And it's a big one. This seminar that you're sitting in is going to be marketed throughout the United States, throughout New Zealand, throughout Australia, throughout England. Do you know that in the next, I'll say, 14 months, taking into consideration the post-production of this particular seminar, we will have 6,700 people selling, 750 people. That's 6,750 people selling this throughout North America alone. We have added approximately 70 people in Canada since March. Good people. Really good people. That's our idea. Does it scare us? Yeah, sometimes. Do we doubt? Yeah, sometimes. Do we experience some anxiety? Yep, sometimes. Some more than others. But that wouldn't stop us. Because we understand. If we advance confidently in the direction of our dreams and endeavor to live the life we've imagined, we're going to meet success unexpected in common hours. Now, you've got to make a commitment. We made a commitment. It's not an accident we attracted all these people. It's not an accident we're doing what we're doing. It's not an accident this program is going to be in millions of hands very, very shortly. This particular program on video is going to be one of the most professional productions that is on the market today. The seminar already is. There's nothing that will equal a seminar, not in the market today. We've had doctors, we've had lawyers, psychiatrists, some of the most senior executives in some of the largest companies in the world tell us there's nothing will equal this. And I know why. I know why. Because we're given an understanding to a person of who they really are. We're not just giving them some technique that's intellectual or physical or academic. Power's within you. You've got to write out your commitment. A commitment is a directive to yourself. It's a directive to yourself. I remember one time reading somewhere that the mark of a superior performer is a person that can give themselves a command and then follow it. That's what's on that page. Now, on page 51, we say, remember, it makes no difference whether your goal is starting a new business, buying a new automobile, a position at work, setting a sales record, or earning an honors mark in school. Whatever it may be, you must step out boldly and pursue it. Look at the win that Al Spaziri is enjoying today, and he is just starting. It's like Haps Adandanak in that letter. This show is only one small step in the direction of greater things you can do, many of which are beyond your wildest dreams. And I would imagine that Al sometimes has to shake his head, and I would imagine Marge does too. Would you agree with that? 100%. 100%. And you know something, Al? The beautiful part is you are always capable of doing it. You are capable of doing what you're doing now when you're earning $18,000 a year, but you weren't aware of it. Give him another hand. I mean, he's made a big step. All right.
What did we say right at the start of the lesson? Motivation and education leads to wise decisions and intelligent action and enables us to enjoy the prosperity which is our birthright. Now we say keep reminding yourself that you have tremendous reservoirs of potential within you. We're on page 51. And therefore you are quite capable of doing anything you set your mind to. You really can. I don't care what the cynics tell you. Quit listening to some of your peers. Want to shoot a better ball golf game? Quit golfing with your friends. <laughs> now all you must do is figure out how you can do it, not whether you can or not. Just think of how you can. Forget about whether you can or not. You know you can. You just have to find out how. Begin to visualize yourself as a risk taker and then starting telling yourself that you are one. Become fully aware of the good vibrations you get simply by virtue of practicing these simple exercises. Now here we are at the page of top, top of page 52. I've been quoting William James or James Allen. Through every lesson, I think I've given you this quote. Your circumstances may not be congenial, but they will not long remain so if you perceive an ideal and strive to reach it. I still have not figured out how Leslie and Brian even bought that first house. I haven't figured it out. Because they, if they had any money, they had it well buried. <laughs> that was before they started to earn anything. Then they started to work with Nino, and the income skyrocketed. So I don't even have to think of how they bought the second one. I'm not quite sure how many they're going to buy. But I know one thing. If you haven't got much and you want to get a lot in real estate, you sit down and talk to them. They'll tell you. That you're going to make some major exciting moves. You've been thinking about them. You're committing yourself to it. When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? You've got to create a sense of urgency. I'm going to do it right now. I wanted to make $250,000 in a year. And I achieved that goal, and when Bob says, be careful what you think because you will surely become it, we did $420,000 that year. I came back with the suggestion of Sam Kalanick. Uh, Sam is with the Mattal organization, KM in the States. And Sam suggested that I come back to the, uh, the seminar and get back into the Born Ridge book because that's where the success came from the beginning. And um, I, I, I'm sure that uh, with uh, the Proctor Seminar that I've had here today, that uh, I know that I'm going to reach my new goal of $1.3 million is what I want to make this year. Uh, to earn $500,000 in the next 12 months. Uh, I came to Bob Proctor Seminar four years ago. Uh, at that time, I set my goal to make $40,000 a year salary. And after four years, I'm uh, making about three times that. And I've come back again because I want to make it you no know, triple or quadruple. I want honors. <laughs> I want to graduate with honors. We're going to talk about the fine line between winning and losing. And as it says in your book, it's just as fine as the razor's edge. So let's give John a warm welcome so he comes up and lead us through this next lesson.
turn over to the razor's edge on 53 at the top, you see the razor's edge. How many people had the opportunity to see the razor's edge? There was two movies, the old one, then the new one. Uh, I believe Don Murray played the part in the recent movie. Bill Murray, so, thank you very much. You know, it's interesting in that particular movie, uh, it's pretty well the story of someone trying to find the meaning to life, the meaning of success. And uh, he ended up in the Himalayas there talking to some great guru. And as he got away up in the mountains there, he met Shirley MacLaine on the way, he had a conversation, and he went on, continued on. And, uh, you know, as he, as he met this here great, uh, great master, uh, he asked him, you know, what is the secret to life? Well, what is this thing all about? What is the difference in winning and losing and, and success and failure? And I'll never forget, you know, the analogy went something like this. He said, you know, there's a big path going down here, he said, along this mountain. And he said, the path is very, very small. And as you walk, you can tilt this way, and as you walk, you can tilt that way. But he said, the person that gets to the other end, they're walking a path that is as fine as a razor's edge. So the real difference in winning and losing, he said, is as fine as a razor's edge. You know, last night I just watched uh, something that we may never again watch in an entire lifetime. When Gibson came to the plate, you could feel the excitement. And it was master against master. Eckersley against Gibson. Now, you know what's most interesting about Gibson coming to the plate? Why would anyone expect Gibson to hit a home run at that time when he has probably the lowest batting average in the playoffs in this series of anybody, of anybody on that team? Well, you see, Gibson will do what he has to do when he has to do it. You think about this. Do you know that the people who come to these seminars the most are the ones who need it the least? The ones who do not come are the ones who need it the most. Now, the real razor's edge difference works this way for you and for me. Many, many years ago, there's a great story told about a guy named uh, Charles Schwab who was the president of Bethlehem Steel and eventually put together the package called U.S. Steel. And uh, he was approached by a guy named Ivy Lee. Ivy Lee walked in and he said, uh, Mr. Schwab, I believe that we have an idea that could dramatically improve, increase your business, he said, beyond where it is. And the most interesting thing about that is that when Schwab said to him, well, we already know what it is we should be doing. But if you can show us a better way of getting it done, we'll listen to you and pay you anything within reason. Well, Ivy Lee took out a sheet of paper and he started to write on it. And he said, now I want you to get out a sheet of paper. Now he said, what I'd like you to do, Mr. Schwab, is write down the six most important things you have to do tomorrow. Schwab did his request. Now he said, first thing tomorrow morning, I want you to take out that list. And he said, you'll have them numbered in priorities. Priority A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now he said, I want you to work on number one. And don't go to number two until you complete number one. He said, then you try the idea, put it to work for 60 days, send me a check for whatever you think the idea is worth. 60 days later, Ivy Lee received a letter stating that the lesson had been the best he had ever learned from a business point of view. And he enclosed a check for $25,000. Now I want you to write down the six most important things you have to do tomorrow. That could be the razor's edge difference for you. 
Now you put it to work and in 60 days you can send me a check for $25,000. <laughs> but you see, there is such a small difference in the people that are actually coming up with the results versus the people that are not getting the results. What is the difference in person B and we'll say person A? What is the basic difference? I mean, they both have, we'll say, the same aptitude, same education, maybe come from the same neighborhood, may work in the same company. They may have even gone to the same schools. But it seems that person A, they just keep on achieving, even though they have great adversities, but person B never really gets off the launching pad. What is the basic difference in these two people? Well, I believe it's the razor's edge. That there is such a fine line that separate people. Now, I want you to consider this. Wade Boggs was the leading hitter in the major leagues, in the American League in the last season, and perhaps for the last five. He ended up with a batting average of about 358. The person who was the 10th highest hitter in the major leagues was somewhere around 301. What is the real difference in Wade Boggs and the person who was in 10th place? Consider it. For every 10 times that Boggs goes to bat, he gets 3.58 hits. The person who is hitting 301 out of 10 times at bat gets 3.01 hits. The real difference in these two people is not even a half a hit for every time, 10 times they go to the plate. But Boggs is earning 1.7 million a year, and I noticed the 10th place hitter was earning about 280,000 a year, even though there's a small difference in the number of hits they get, less than a half a hit, the difference in income is absolutely phenomenal. You go back to a day when the greatest base dealer in the history of the major leagues, a guy by the name of Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, we remember, I mean, as a fearless individual that always played to win. But do you know that Ty Cobb, he had what is called a stolen base percentage of 71%. In the same year that Cobb was recognized for his greatness, there was a man named Carey, and I'll guarantee you few people have ever heard of him. Carey had a stolen base percentage of 98%. Do you know he had 53, 53 attempts? He was only caught twice which meant he had 51 stolen bases. 51 stolen bases. Why is it we remember Cobb so well? Tell you why. It wasn't because Cobb was caught 38 times. 38 times Cobb was caught stealing second base, or third, or home. That's not why we remember Cobb. Cobb stole 96 bases. That's not why we remember Cobb. Someone has broken his record. Do you know why everyone remembers the great 
Ty Cobb is because he made 134 attempts. Was the razor's edge difference that Cobb was a better base dealer? Or was it because he made more attempts than this man carried? That was the real razor's edge difference. Now, I'm going to give you one simple little formula that will act as the razor's edge difference for you. Just one. That's all, just one. Then I want to cover the book, and we'll get into the last two lessons with Robert. Now, here it is. The common denominator of success. The very simple formula, not an easy one, but a very simple one. It works like this. A man wrote a marvelous little book, 20 pages, and he entitled it The Common Denominator of Success. And he said the common denominator of success in his business, your business, my business, any business, is informing the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. Now think about this. Failures, this individual, is influenced in pleasing methods only, whereas this person, the success type individual, they're influenced by pleasing results only. They have formed the habit of doing things that this person does not like to do. Think about it. Are you influenced by pleasing results? Or are you influenced by pleasing what is called methods? What are you influenced by? Are you influenced by where you're going? Or are you influenced in defending where you are? Because the razor's edge difference could be just one simple action that you do every single day. The six most important things that are going to move you in the direction of your goal. And that's basically what it comes down to. Well, let's look at this and see what we come up with on page 53. Because we promised we'd get you out of here by 5 o'clock. It says you are likely one inch, one step, one idea away from turning on to the boulevard of beauty in your life. It has often been said that that line which separates winning from losing is as fine as a razor's edge and it really is. Somerset Mon wrote an entire book entitled A Razor's Edge, and Daryl F. Zanuck spent four... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. $4 million producing a movie which had the same title. Both of these great people, author and movie maker alike, knew there wasn't a big difference among people. There was only a difference in the things that they accomplished. And that was the theme of the movie as well as the book. One person just about starts a project. Well, are you one that just about starts it? Or are you the person that actually gets it started and completes it? One individual almost completes a task, but the other completes it. One student nearly passes the exam, the other person passes it. 
And although the difference in their marks may be only one percentage point out of a hundred, it is that one percentage point that makes all the difference in the world. Now turn the page. Now, you could spend some time reading page 54. But you see, the whole idea is not in what you read on 54, not what you read in Born Rich, not what you listen to from the tape in Born Rich. The difference is whether or not you are prepared to write out a list of actions that are razor-edge activities and then make a commitment to do them. Remember yesterday I mentioned the word excellence? Excellence is that fine line. It is only a commitment to completion. That's all excellence means. It's a commitment to completion. So you see, it doesn't matter how many books you read. It doesn't matter how many seminars you go to, how many tapes you hear, how many experiences you've had. The difference is, is you know what you have to do. There isn't one person in here that cannot intellectually comprehend what it is they have to do and write it down as a razor's edge activity. As a razor's edge activity. Anytime that I mention this 9 o'clock idea, a 9 a.m. Uh, idea that I just want to share with you for a moment, and I look at a guy up there named Grant Sylvester. He knows it as well as anybody. But I can remember when, when earlier on, about 18 years ago, Bob would talk about the 9 a.m. call, in other words, about being in front of people at 9 a.m. every day. And you know, I, I tried that one time. And they say that trying is failure with honor. But I didn't try it. I made a commitment it was going to work. There's a big difference. And you know, I couldn't begin to tell you some of the rewards that I've enjoyed from that razor's edge activity just by getting started maybe an hour early. Do you know that if you start something an hour early or if you work an hour later, do you know that's nine 40-hour weeks that you enjoy each additional year? Just one more hour is a razor's edge activity that'll give you nine 40-hour weeks of productivity in your life, no matter what area of your life you're talking about. When are you going to do something about it? When are you going to sit down, take this page, page 55, and actually list some things that you are definitely going to do, which are relatively simple things, and again, they're not easy. Anybody that ever tells us something is easy, it's, they say that because they don't do it. There isn't anything that's easy. You know, it's interesting how last night you look on the dugout and they're talking about where is Kurt Gibson? Obviously, he's not dressed tonight. A number of years ago in Michigan, Kurt Gibson was having problems hitting left-handed pitchers because he's a left-handed hitter. And he was having such a hard time that he actually went and he took a course on visualization because it was affecting how he hit right-handed pitchers. Let me tell you what happened. Not only did he start hammering right-handed and left-handed pitchers, but last night what you experienced was a man who made a decision and who made a commitment to completion. He came out there in two gimpy legs in pain. He had a hard time running around the bases. But did you notice that in pain he was in joy? Did you notice in pain he was in happiness? Did you notice in pain he was in victory? Did you notice in pain that he was a winner? He knows the difference as far as the razor's edge is concerned. I don't know if he knows how to verbalize it, but I can tell you this. He knows how to act on it. 
He knows how to act on it. He could have said, Tommy, I don't feel good enough to go. Tommy, I don't think I can make it. Tommy, you should use someone else. No, he said, Tommy, I'm available when you need me. When the reporters asked him, how could you, why would you even think of paying, playing with such pain and such injuries? He looked at the reporter and he said, have you ever played baseball? So what is the Razor's Edge activity for you? On page 56, just to complete this. If you're employed in a sales capacity, consider the dynamic sales presentation which you could be developing in a month or two. If you simulated a sales presentation with an imaginary prospect or possibly one of your associates every day for one hour. Imagine what would happen if you practice your craft every day. Imagine what would happen if you practice your craft as a parent, if you practice your craft in your profession, if you practice your craft in your family life, in your personal life, and with your friends. Can you imagine what would happen? Well, you see, if you're only going to try it for a week, I want to tell you now, don't do it, because the frustration will be worse than ever. If you're going to try it for two weeks, maybe. But if you want it to really work, I'll tell you this. You give the next 90 days of your life, the next 90 days of your life, the very best you've got, and I'll guarantee you one thing, life will give you everything you want for the rest of your life. 90 days. I could go through this, and at the bottom, it's asking you to make a commitment. I'm going to suggest that sometime this week, and you know tomorrow you're going to be very tired, but I'm going to suggest tomorrow, just give some thought to what we were covering today in the razor's edge, because the difference is action, the difference is activity, the difference is doing. The difference is really doing. And then you make a commitment on what you're going to do with this page, and don't allow others don't allow events to control your activity. Don't allow that. I kind of like, you know, the guy who was walking back and forth in front of the bed on a Sunday night. His wife said, are you ever going to come to bed? It's midnight. He said, I can't. I said, why not? He said, I'm having a problem. He said, the mortgage is due tomorrow. And we have no money in the bank. She said, isn't that so-and-so down the street where our bank manager lives. Isn't that the bank we deal with? Isn't he the manager? So that's right. Went over. She picked up the phone. She called him. She had a few words and hung up the phone. She said, now, will you get into bed? He said, what did you do? He said, I just called the bank manager and let him know that you can't make the mortgage payment tomorrow. He'll be up all night worrying about it. You get to bed. Excellence is a commitment to completion, and that's the difference in the razor's edge activities you're going to get involved in to really make this program work for you. And I'm sure you can relate that to almost any experience in your life, whether it be in, in relationships, the razor's edge may be commitment, uh, whether it be in uh, selling, the razor's edge may be one more call, uh, whether it be in uh, in just your family life, the razor's edge might be just turning off the television for maybe one half hour each day. Um, for me, in doing the seminars and the things that I've been able to accomplish through the seminars, the razor's edge for me has been persistence. In other words, when I was in doubt, I went to work. When I was in doubt, I went forward. 
when I wanted to quit, I took one more step ahead. So the razor's edge is always perhaps a decision. And, 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 and I think that this is probably very, very significant to anyone that we may be sharing with today. But I know that we don't have as many problems as we have decisions to make. And quite often that problem mushrooms only because of the lack of decision. So the razor's edge for a lot of people could be to make a decision even though they don't have a complete set of facts to operate with. Make a decision and usually by making that decision, the next decision will be revealed to you. Now on page 55, there's a space there for you to jot down six, seven, eight little things that'll make a big difference. I'm not suggesting that you use them all, but at least recognize a half a dozen and then implement them. Remember right at the beginning of the book, we point out that reading and memorizing isn't doing, going to do you any good. It's understanding and application that's really going to make the difference. So before you proceed any further, make sure that page 55 is complete with your razor edge activities. Let's have just that one more dimension of energy to bring us in for a landing. I want you to focus on this sand timer. Let the sand in the glass represent your life. Let the sand in the bottom of the glass represent the past. The sand in the top of the glass will represent the future. Now really think about this. The sand in the bottom of the glass represents the past. Everything that has happened right up to this moment in your life has been absolutely essential to make you the person you are to prepare you to do whatever it is you're going to do. I'm of the opinion that we never really know what we're preparing ourselves for. But if we're using the right ideas, we can be absolutely certain it's something great. The sand in the top of the glass represents the future. There's absolutely no way that any of us can tell how much sand there is in the top of our glass. You know, I remember my grandmother when I was just a little boy, because she pretty well raised me, she and my mother. But my mother worked all day, and Grandma was the one that was home when we were small. And Grandma came to live with us a year before I was born. My grandfather had passed away a year before I was born. So when I arrived on the scene, Grandma was already there. She would probably have been around 60 at that time. So in my mind, she was a very old lady. Now, I've since changed my attitude about that, but <laughs> at that time, Grandma was way up there. And you know, every day of my life that Grandma spent with us, I think I heard her say, I'll soon be gone, dear. I'll soon be gone. Well, you know, it got to a point we thought Grandma was never going to go. <laughs> now, we didn't want her to, of course. She was a dear soul. She really was. 
But Grandma kept saying, I'll soon be gone. She was 94 when she left. 94. And from the time she was 60 until she was 94, she was saying, I'll soon be gone. Now, around the same time, I had a young friend of mine, Bob Yates. Bob and I went everywhere. We did everything together. We were, as the saying goes, as thick as thieves. And Bob was two or three months older than I was, I guess. He got his driver's license two or three months ahead of me. And I remember Bob had this sort of a panel truck. It was like a sedan delivery. Today, I suppose we would call them vans. But it was on July the 9th, 1951, Bob was coming in the Kingston Road Highway, the highway you would travel on if you were coming from Montreal into Toronto, Canada. And there's one area that some of you would be familiar with where you can either go along onto Danforth or cut down onto Kingston Road. And Bob was cutting on down to Kingston Road and it was necessary to go under a concrete overpass. And as Bob came down there, wham, just like that, he hit that concrete overpass. And like that, Bob ran out of sand. 16. Now, that was a terrible impact in my life. I'll never forget it. But if you had asked Bob a half hour before that how much sand he had in the top of his glass, he probably would have said half a century for low. He didn't have a half an hour. Now... I choose to believe that we all hope that we're going to go to bed tonight. And we're going to get up tomorrow morning. We're going to go to bed tomorrow night. But none of us know with absolute certainty whether that's going to happen or not. I remember the first speaker I ever heard was Charlie Cohen. And uh, Charlie's late for note doing what I'm doing right now. Right on stage. I suppose when Charlie went on to make the speech that he went on to make, he probably thought he had lots of sand left, but he didn't. And every one of us can tell a story like this. Probably tell a number of them. See, the point is, you don't know how much future you've got. What's gone is gone. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Some of you have had divorces. Some of you um, have probably had bankruptcies. Some of you have had terrible things happen in the past. But what's gone is gone. It's in the past. And to spend your time focusing on the past is to spend the only thing that you've got, and that's what's right here, right now, because the sand never stops running. This is all we've got. And to spend your time now thinking of what happened there is making absolute certain that the future is going to be the same as the past. Now, I don't suppose many of us spend a lot of time thinking about that, but a lot of us Spend a lot of time making that error. That's an excellent symbol. All you got is now. We're saying here, don't think in reverse. There's a great poem here, Forgive. I remember years and years ago, I suffered with headaches. Terrible headaches. I got to the point where I was taking buffering for the headaches. Then I got to the point where I was taking Sinutab with codeine for headaches. It was 16 in a bottle, and I got to the point where I was taking two bottles a day. As a matter of fact, most times I didn't even remember my head not aching. But I was sort of numb all the time. 
course, with that much junk in you, I guess you couldn't be any other way. And I remember talking to this chap. I was in the Hotel Vancouver, and I was picking up two heavy briefcases or suitcases, and I was in a real rush to get to the airport. He said, what's the matter with you? He said, you look like you're going to pass out. And I said, I feel like I am. Well, he said, what's the matter? And I said, my head is aching so bad, I feel sick to my stomach. Now, some of you suffer with this, and I felt like banging my head against the wall. It was so much pain. He said, go and sit down in that chair. And I said, I don't have time. I've got to catch a plane. He said, listen, you can always get another plane. You only get one head. He said to me, do you know what forgive means? On the top of page 58, that's the title of the poem, Forgive. And by the way he asked the question, I just thought I probably don't. And I said, well, I don't know. He says, forgive means let go of completely, abandon, just let it go. Unequivocally, no strings attached. Now, he said, if you want to rid yourself of headaches, just forgive all thoughts that are on your mind. And you just listen to me. And he put me in a totally relaxed state. I felt better than I had felt for years. If you're suffering from headaches, take the relaxation tape out of your program and commit yourself to listen to it every day for 30 days. And as you let yourself get involved in that relaxation tape, you're going to forgive any thought that comes to your mind. You're going to program your subconscious mind to put your body in a totally relaxed vibration. Because you're going to find that your head is aching because of the things that you're not letting go of. And it's causing tension and it's causing an abnormal state of vibration of the cells in the brain, which causes the blood to rush to the head. And as you put yourself in a totally relaxed state, you'll soon become programmed to relax. I know that I would not be able to do what I do as often as I do it and as long as I do it if I wasn't relaxed. I am just as relaxed here in front of you or in front of this camera as if I was sitting in my den patting Ginger, my dog. I am. For Linda's sake or Libby, you see. We have two dogs. They accuse me of favoring one of them. Now, <laughs> probably because I do. I think Ginger's prettier. <laughs> now, study that poem. Study the meaning of it. On page 59, we say, you'll never obtain any substantial measure of material wealth if you insist upon living your life as if you are looking back through your rearview mirror on your automobile. Nevertheless, it seems to be a very common error which many people have turned into a habit. Let the dead bury the dead. Let it go. I don't care how bad it was. Let it go. Five years from now, ten years from now, when you look back in retrospect at that terrible thing that's happened, you're going to find it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to you. Advancement of all kinds is preceded by a crisis. The greater the crisis, the greater the opportunity for advancement. Or you could put it another way. You could say, out of all confusion comes order. A higher degree of order than that which existed prior to the confusion. Because you see, the confusion was a learning state. Remember, I was pointing out that business is fun. It really is. I see business as a game. It's a game we're playing, and we play to win. 
And when we're winning, we're having fun. And when we're losing, we're learning. Let's treat both of the experiences exactly the same. They're learning experiences. Now we say, remember the old adage which says, let the dead bury the dead. Stop looking back on your life and worrying about the things which have already occurred and which you can no longer alter. That's like trying to change the time you got out of bed this morning. You're never going to be able to do it. That stands for eternity. You cannot go back and change it since you cannot let it go. Pursuing that kind of mental activity will never lead to anything worthwhile, any worthwhile accomplishment in your life. You should understand, moreover, that all accomplishments in your life, you should understand, moreover, that all of the great achievers of the past have been visionary figures. They did with their life what, like Scott was saying, he does with his music. He heard it in here. They see their life in here. They're building visions of a great future. We've got a vision of a great company. We've already got a great company. We want a better one. We serve a lot of people. We want to serve more. And as we do, we receive greater rewards. And because we receive greater rewards, we become more comfortable, more creative, and we can provide more service. It's a beautiful cycle that we're in. Looking into the past is a self-doom-fulfilling cycle. You just keep getting it worse and worse and worse. We've all done it, so we know what it's like. These visionary figures were men and women who projected into the future, and they did not belabor over things which had already passed. They thought of what could be rather than what already was, and then they moved themselves into action to bring these things into fruition. That quote at the bottom of the page, I should have actually given the person credit for it that said it. Life is either a series of endings or a series of beginnings at the bottom of page 59. I went to a church service in Santa Ana, California, and Philip Nicola, great preacher, he preached a sermon on that one day. Life is either a series of endings or a series of beginnings. If you're looking back, it's a series of endings. Look ahead. Something great is coming. Leland Val Vanderwaal said something when we were sitting having coffee. And I jotted it down. Every time this guy opens his mouth, he drops a pearl. I'm so wise. He said, let us not look back in anger, nor forward in fear, but around us in awareness. Boy, is there ever depth in that? Let's not look back in anger. Let's quit thinking in reverse. Nor forward in fear, but around us in awareness. Take all the resentments and guilts. You know what it's doing? Resentments and guilt is simply choosing to build a negative idea here over something that someone did to you and then letting ourselves get emotionally involved in it and we move into the same vibration. Now think. I don't care how justified you may feel in holding a resentment. It's a dumb game. Ray Stanford used to tell me it was like throwing dust into a strong wind at someone else. You know where the dust is going to end up. You may feel justified, but I'm going to tell you a person of understanding will not do it. Will not do it. That is an act, a mental act of ignorance. Love them. The law will see that they get their reward for what they did. You don't have to look after that. 
And as long as you're holding that resentment in your mind, it's like replaying the same thing over and over again. And the same physical experience is taking place. You're moving into that vibration. I had a good doctor friend of mine that says rheumatism and arthritis is nothing but frozen hate. It's dwelling on things like that. It dries up the joints in the body. What's guilt? I've done things in the past I'm not proud of. I'm quite certain you have. Many of you. And they bothered me for a long time. They really did. And I wasn't able to get rid of it. So I went to see a psychiatrist. He ended up working with us. <coughs> That's true. He helped me, but I helped him too. <coughs> and just through a series of right questions, I developed an awareness and it was gone. I have absolutely no guilt anymore. I just won't not tolerate it. That's looking back at something you did that you thought was wrong in the past and reliving it. And the same vibration takes place. You see, resentment and guilt are very closely aligned. One's directed towards someone else, the other's directed towards yourself. But you're the beneficiary of both, and neither one of them are positive. Most destructful emotions that you could get involved in. There's a great affirmation at the bottom of the page. And anyone that wants to rid themselves of resentment or guilt or a lot of disease, I would suggest you write it out probably a hundred times a day. I willingly release the thoughts and things that clutter my mind. They're all the old ones in there that you're not even aware of. And then say, I release whoever it is. Name them all to their highest good. That means happiness, health, and prosperity. Just release them. The person could be dead. It's not the person that's causing the problem. It's the remembrance. It's the idea. I release them to their highest good and me to mine. And you see them happy, healthy, and prosperous. And you see yourself happy, healthy, and prosperous. And then you say, it is so. Thank you, Father. Father being infinite power. I want to suggest on page 61... Did you read the story of Patty's Cruise? I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want you to read it. <clears throat> I want you to read it. Because I sat down with her. Patty's a good friend of mine. We're related. We worked together. And she had a definite problem. And over a cup of coffee, I gave her a suggestion that solved the problem. And she learned a great lesson. And any one of you can learn a great lesson from the story that's in here. You're always saying, I'd like to do this, but I can't because you get the answer there. Now, on the next page, on page 62. If you have been guilty of allowing your sales sheets, your bank account, or the x-rays your doctor takes of your body to control the way you feel or think or view your sales, your financial position, or your health, I can assure you that just as certain as it's going to get dark tonight, there will not be any marked improvement in your life in any of these areas. There won't be. What did Paul Hutsey tell me? What did he tell you? He's been in the business 38 years. He's been in management 35. When I sat down and talked with him, he had been in the business 24 years, and he'd been in management 22. And he said, I know I can get better results, and I don't know why I'm not. I know I'm a good person. I know my people are good people. But he said, I don't know why I'm not doing it. I said, I can tell you, in a boot, 15 minutes. I said, Paul, 
your thinking in reverse. You're letting the sales sheet control everything in your life, and you're creating more of the same. It's not changing. And I said, you got to quit doing that. You've got to realize that the results you're getting has been controlled by the way you think. And I said, what you want to do is keep your mind on a higher image rather than a lower concern. You take this magnificent power and you build the picture in here that you want. And you, like yourself, get emotionally involved in that picture. And I said, Paul, it'll happen so fast, it'll make your head spin. What did he tell you? In nine months, he went to the top of the company. Nine months. He had been trying for 22 years to do something. What did Al tell you? 18,000 to 500. I was saying to someone downstairs, you know, I used to read these stories in the books when I first started, and I thought, oh, this can't be true. Go follow these people. Talk to them. That's why we brought Paul Hutzi in here. That's why we've had the various people stand up that we know that changes have taken place and come back to these seminars. And they keep coming back and they keep coming back. That's why you should keep watching what you're looking at. On page 63, these are just action lessons. I want you to take the chapter on Don't Think in Reverse, and I would suggest that you read it over a few times and ask yourself, what did I learn from this chapter? What did I learn from it? I would suggest you take your own voice and you narrate that chapter and the one John just went through on the razor's edge. Put them on tape. You've got a tape in your folder for your own affirmations, your own commitments, and your own goals. Take that tape and record it. Some people come to me and say, there's nothing on this tape. You know what they're saying? I'm not thinking. I'm not reading. I'm not listening. I'm not looking. And I'm not doing what the program tells me to do. Take that tape and record your commitments. Record your goals. Record your affirmations, your positive statements to yourself. And in your own voice, Dave Mifsed was telling me one day, he says, what an excellent idea. He said, your own voice, one that you trust. But Dave was really saying, I trust my own voice. Some people don't, you know, Dave. Read that lesson over and ask yourself what you learned from it. Now, the last lesson is a classic. I talked to a person here, right here in this spot, within the last couple of hours. And I told that person to focus in on this lesson. Focus in on this lesson. Now, I want you to think. You want, and I want, greater good here. Positive things to happen. But understand this. I cannot set anything where this lectern stands until I get rid of the lectern. I cannot put anything where that camera is standing until I get rid of the camera. And nor can you put anything where that television set's sitting until you get rid of this television set. You must create a space for the good that you desire. I would hate to guess at the number of people that would love to meet and greet and love and, 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 and have a meaningful relationship with someone. And they're never going to do it until they let go of that old relationship. Person may be gone, but the idea is still there. You've got to create a space for the good that you desire. You just must do it. And if you don't, you're never going to have that relationship. You want something in your home? We have people that come in and look after our place two or three times a week. You've got a big kitchen. There's a sofa in there, chair. 
We haven't liked that sofa chair for a long time. Linda says, let's create a vacuum. They were gone. Lots of room in our kitchen now, I'll tell you. Nature abhors that vacuum. Only be a period of time until there's new furniture in the kitchen. You got to create a space for it. Create a space. When it comes to furniture and stuff like that, people have garage sales. I just say a silent prayer for them as I'm driving by their house. Having a garage sale is a dumb thing to do. Give it away. Give it away. Most people don't know how to give. Remember I said it should be spontaneous. Here's a beautiful poem by Beer. He said, to get he had tried, yet his star was still meager. To a wise man he cried in a voice keen and eager, pray tell me, what, how may I successfully live? And the wise man replied, to get, you got to give. To get, you got to give. As to giving, he said, what have I to give? I've scarce enough bread, and of course, one must live. But I would partake of life's bountiful store. Came the wise man's response, then you must give more. The lesson he learned to get was forgotten. Think of the number of people out trying to get, 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 get. Toward mankind, he turned with a love new begotten. As he gave of himself in useful living, then joy crowned his days, for he grew rich in giving. I like that lesson. I like giving things. I really do. I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. I've had people tell me from time to time, ah, oh, you give too much away. You couldn't possibly give too much away. What a dumb statement. What a dumb statement. You ought to take part of all you get and put it back where it came from. If a farmer doesn't do that, you're soon going to have a poor farmer. They are what you call dumb farmers. Farmer takes part of his crop, puts it back in the ground. And if you don't take part of all you receive and put it back where you got it from, you're not going to get much more. We hold on to old ideas. Why do we do all these things? We're insecure. We're insecure. Remember how physical we are? We've got lots of physical things around us. We feel comfortable. Did you ever watch the advertisement on television that American Express have? See a young couple having a great time, you know, nice music, and all of a sudden, ah! We lost our credit cards! And you hear this voice, you have Malacan Express. And a calmness comes over them. Did you ever drive downtown, you go to park your car, and you reach for your purse or put your hand in your pocket, and all of a sudden you see the purse and the table in the hall? Or, yeah. You see the money on the dresser? Feeling good security in here, isn't it? Isn't it strange how we feel secure if we've got a few bucks on us? A little bit of paper? So dumb. Security's an inside thing. It's inside. And the more we learn about ourselves, the less we need all these things around us. Some people are real pack rats. You know? Well, on page 67, we're talking about removing these mental blocks. You see, it not only works, it not only works with, uh, uh, with physical things, it works with mental things. Because remember, the physical and the mental, the non-physical, are all the same. And we must create a space for the good that we desire. In the book, you'll see that I dedicate this book to my Aunt Marg, Marg Moyer. Uh, I love her very much. She and I are very close friends. And Marg and Don, her husband and daughter's family, they came to the seminar. And when Marg first came, she said it was, you know, it was such an awakening for her. She'd always been so subservient. She never thought that she could have anything. And if she ever learned anything, I'm going to tell you, she learned this law. I was over at her house one day, and she was telling me how much she disliked her drapes. And I said, no, you don't, Marg. If you didn't like them, they wouldn't be there. I said, you only have around you the things you're in love with, in harmony with. She said, well, I don't love them. And I said, well, you really don't get rid of them. I said, have you never learned the law, the vacuum law of prosperity? 
Boy, I'm going to tell you, she locked into it. She got up and took the drapes down. Don was yelling, we haven't got any money to buy new ones. And I said, it won't be long until you have new ones there, Marg. You'll get sick of living in a fishbowl. She didn't listen to Don. The drapes were gone. I said, give them away. I went over one day and there was beautiful new shears and new drapes on the window. And she was so happy. And every time she looked at them, she felt good instead of looking at the old ones and feeling bad. Wasn't too long I went over there and all the living room was empty. There was no furniture there. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Then they went through the closet and cleaned the closets out and pretty soon she had new clothes. Do you know now they live in a beautiful home, brand new home, they get rid of the home. <laughs> and I remember when they were moving into this beautiful new home, I saw nothing going into one end of the room and I, I was looking, I was saying, you know, Mark, the room's gonna be a little out of balance. You should put something there. She says, there is something there. And I said, what's that? She's my baby grand piano. I said, what do you mean your baby grand piano? I said, you haven't got a baby grand piano. Oh yes, I have, it's just not arrived yet. You know. <laughs> You go into their house today, there's a beautiful baby grand there. You must create a space for the good that you desire. On page 69, I'm gonna ask you to write down closed closet under area. Closed closet under area. Now, I want you to write down a date within seven days of today's date. Completion date. Put down a day, could be today, tomorrow, the next day, but within seven days of completion date. Now, what I'm going to suggest you do is that you test this law. I'm going to suggest you go through your closet and every piece of clothes or garment you pick up that you do not wear, you get rid of it. You, get, you just put it on the floor. And you're going to get to the point where you're going to grab one garment and you're going to have a difficult, it's almost like it's welded to the railing. <laughs> because that garment you paid a lot for and you haven't worn it very often. In fact, you only had it on a couple of times, but you don't like it. It doesn't feel right or it doesn't fit right. But you're thinking, I spent so much on it, it's so good I can't throw it out. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Completely clean the closet out. Get rid of the shoes. Nice idea, isn't it? That's right, you want a new, I know I can tell by looking at you, you want a new. I mean, you're just so excited about this. Do you know in a relatively short period of time that closet will all fill up again? You'll say, but where will I get the money? You'll attract it, and you'll get the clothes that you want. There's a young lady sitting right here in the front, Heather. She's just gone through that. And James paid. <laughs> and then I want you to think of the other areas in your life that you want to get rid of things, different rooms. Some of you have a sofa you don't like. Get rid of it. Some of you have an automobile that you can't stand. Get rid of it. You won't walk for long. Now on page 70, I want to suggest that you stop and think of some of the ideas that you had locked into your mind when you started to listen to this. I want you to write them down and on the opposite page, write down the new idea that now you accept as the truth. Make up your mind that you are going to create a vacuum by letting go of that old idea and accepting the new idea. You study that vacuum law prosperity chapter and study it, and study it, and study it, and I guarantee you, your life will be filled with beauty. Create a space for the good that you desire. I was talking to a manager of a sales operation. He was telling me he wanted more people working in his office. I said, do you have an empty desk? And he said, no. I said, you haven't got any space for one. I said, create a space for one. Get the desk. Put the phone on it. Put everything there that you need. And I said, before long, there'll be somebody behind the desk. And if you doubt me, you try it. If you doubt me, you try it.
Now, we're going to bring this thing in for a landing. But before we do, I want to suggest that you watch this at least once a day. You don't have to watch it all, just a little bit. Do you know the beautiful part about this is that I have been recognized around the world as having a lot of information on this one subject. And I get very well rewarded for sharing it. I really do. I don't meet many people that know more about this subject than I do. There are people around, but I don't meet many of them. And when you get to that point, your stock goes up. You know what always amazed me? I've never studied it very much. I've only studied it a little bit, but I studied it a little bit every day for 27, 28 years. And you'd be amazed just how fast it adds up. It's just like the $20 bill, Andy. 20 bucks today. In a short period of time, it's a million and a half. Put to work properly. You put these tapes to work properly. Every day, just turn them on for a little bit. Turn some of the junk off that you're walking on that box. Most people watch the best of the worst. They just flip around until they get something they can tolerate. <laughs> Use something that'll really stretch your mind. Well, here we are coming to the end of the program. The end of the program is actually the beginning of the program. We've pointed out numerous times that repetition is one of the keys to success. As we went through the Born Rich program, John and I made a number of suggestions. We suggested that you make a commitment and you write your commitment out. Put it in writing. We suggested you make a number of affirmations, positive statements from yourself to yourself. I read one time where it said the mark of a superior performer is an individual that can give themselves a command and then follow it. We recommended that you write your goal out, and that you relax on page 30 and redefine the goal. See yourself as the person you want to be. Now, number eight cassette in your program is for you to fill in. You read number eight cassette, the audio cassette, it's your own narration of your affirmations, commitments, and your goal. Now, do you see the old conditioning or habit would cause you to just leave that there and not bother putting it on tape. But consider this. You take your voice, it's a voice you trust. Your mind is used to your voice. You write down your affirmations. You write out your commitment and you write out your goal in the present tense and put as much feeling as you can as you record it. And you play this cassette every day. I want to suggest that you use this program of yours that you've invested in every day. Get your friends involved in it. Get your family involved in it. And you're going to find that your life will never be the same again. You can have the things you want, all of them, and you will have them by incorporating these messages into your life. Momentarily, I'm going to introduce you to an excellent idea that John and I conceived some time ago and we will be bringing to your doorstep before too long. It's a magnificent set of books. It's called the Torchbearer Series. And you're going to find that they can help you along with this program. Review the program often. Complete the exercises. Wear it out. You'll be so far ahead. Now sit back, relax, and mentally come back into the seminar as we tie this all up. I used a quotation a little earlier with Paul Hutsey. And 
I was telling you about these pins, about the torchbearer. John and I are preparing a magnificent idea. This is a leather-bound book with gold edges. And it's got the torchbearer logo on it. And on the side here, it's got the torchbearer symbol, As Man Thinketh, by James Allen. Now, that's a bonus book with our series. I know that some of you are going to want these, but you can't have them yet. You're not ready. But when they are, you'll hear about them. And we want to get everybody locked into this idea about being a torchbearer. Let me repeat that quotation again. Roosevelt said, Only those are fit to live who do not fear to die. And none are fit to die who have shrunk from the joy of life. Both life and death are parts of the same great adventure. All of us who provide service and stand ready for sacrifice are the torchbearers. We run with the torches until we fall, content if we can pass them to the hands of the other runners. If you want to experience real joy in your life, you follow the advice in that quote. Be a torchbearer. Pass on something good. Give up something so you can. And you'll always get more back so you can pass on more of something good. Now, what we've done is create a set of books. And I'm going to get John just to take a second. They're a beautiful set of books. And they're a complete set. They're going to be classics. They're ideas that have been passed down through the ages. We're putting them together. And like I said earlier, we've got license to brag about all this because none of it's ours. It's just something we've collected from some of the greatest authors and the greatest thinkers in the world. There are 12 different subjects. I can get John just to run over each one of them. This is not necessarily in the order of importance, but one of them is called confidence. The entire book is written on one subject, and it's called confidence. You just read them this way. Then there's a book on courage, perhaps one of the most important things. The next book is on decision. In other words, making a decision and how to make or to improve your decision-making ability. This one I particularly like. It's called Responsibility. The next one is entitled Receiving. And then the rest, number one, is giving. I believe Robert just covered that very, very well. Of course, one that I'm sure you'll all identify with is attraction, the law of attraction. Robert? This one is on satisfaction. Very important idea as far as understanding what it really means. And of course, a big one, and perhaps the biggest, is called faith. To tie in with faith is one called, entitled, belief. And I believe what makes everybody a torchbearer, and is the reason that I'm here today, is this one called persistence. Persistence. I'm kind of proud of these books. I know Robert is, as a lot of other people are. But that's the torch that he just spoke about, 
And we'd like to see everybody become a torchbearer. Now, I'm going to ask, where is uh, Debbie, uh, Randy, Gina, uh, Shirley, uh, Donna? Do you want to come down here, please? Now, these are the people that work directly in the office and make this company really work. Uh, which see Bob and I doing is a very small part of what these people do. But uh, there's one person that heads this company up, and uh, believe me, uh, I have a respect for a lot of people, but in a business sense and management sense, you're not going to meet one like Linda Proctor, our president. Ryan, Leslie, Colleen. Now we'd like the people who really make the company work now. We'd like them all to come down here. These are the people who are out in the ditches, digging the ditches every day, who are out talking to people and dealing with, you could say, our program every day, and who actually make it work and are the ones really responsible for not only you being here, but we being here. And we want to bring all those people down now uh, that, that work with you and, and brought you here and that help us so very, very much that are the most important people in our company, the most important people in our company, with one exception, other than you, other than you. So we would like them all to come down and to join us on the platform. And I'd like you to give them all a big hand as they come down here. this country now so what we would like to do is Bob is going to wind this up by thanking by thanking you so very very much and finishing with what this program is really all about in a simple poem you know I'd like to add to uh, John's remarks and thank these people because they are really the ones that support us they do the hard work the people of the Marines the ones that are out on the beach all these people work with us full-time they're out there and they're giving it everything they've got there's a number of other people that are not here, unfortunately, today. They're off uh, somewhere else because we have people in many different areas. But as we bring this in for a landing, what I would like you to do now is focus on yourself. There's a beautiful poem in the book, You Were Born Rich. And it's a poem that I fell in love with many years ago. Leland Val Vandewal was the first one to share it with me. And in that poem, he said, every single blade of grass and every flake of snow was just a wee bit different. There's no two alike, you know. From something small like grains of sand to each gigantic star, each one was made with this in mind, to be just what they are. How foolish then to imitate and how useless to pretend when each one of us comes from a mind whose ideas never end. You know, there'll only be just one of me to show what I can do. And likewise, you should feel very proud that there's only one of you.
because that's where it all starts with you, a wonderful, unlimited human being. I want to thank all the crew that have been here. They've been working diligently now for um, the two days that you've seen them, but they were in here at 6 o'clock on Friday night, and they haven't really stopped since then. I guess they've had a couple of hours off to sleep when we weren't here, but they did a lot of work after we left, and they were certainly working a long time before we arrived. There's a crew out in the truck, and they're monitoring every shot that's being taken. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a beautiful set of tapes. I know I'm going to be very proud of them, just as everybody in our company is. I want to thank you very much for coming. I want to thank them for the great job they've done. And I want to thank you for purchasing the tapes, because you're the customer and you're the boss. You're the one that keeps us going in the right direction. Make certain that you use these over and over and over again. Again, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this video. We put a lot of good information up here and it causes everything in your life to get better. If you'd like us to notify you every time we put a new video up, hit subscribe and then turn on notifications. Check out all our videos and we will notify you when we put a new one up. Antonio T. Smith Jr. and I'm excited to be with you and I want to take this opportunity to tell you what you get what this pathbender is about can you really change your life can I change your life can you bend your path and I want to talk about four things that help you understand how I've come up with pathbender 
and how the idea of actually bending your path is not only realistic, but it's realistic for you. The first thing I want to tell you is I can't teach you anything because you already know everything. There is something so different about you. Something about you is so fundamentally different that if I disassemble you and put you back together, you won't have life. You don't work like the cameras recording me or the lights around the studio. Something about you is different. So if you hear me say anything in these four things that I want to tell you, the first one being you already know everything. If it feels like you're remembering, if it feels good to your soul, if it feels well with your being, that is how you know it is true. And the first thing that I'm telling you, it is true that you know what I'm about to say, you've just forgotten. There are distortions over you and these truths that have escaped you are finding their ways back to you. And I am just your guide back to your compass. It's the first thing. So in truth, something about you understands you can bend your path. Maybe you haven't thought of it, or maybe you've been thinking about it and now it is here. And it is my most gracious honor to be the person you're listening to and to be the soul that's intertwined with your destiny. The second thing I want to tell you is the principle Wu Wei. You find it in the Tao, Taoism. It is this idea of not forcing anything. My friends, life is not a life of manipulation. It's more of a life of meditation. Manifestation does not go hand in hand with manipulation. And if you are forcing your path, you're on the wrong path. If things are not coming to you in the fastest, quickest, most harmonious way possible. If your life seems as if you are swimming up a stream, going against the grain, flowing through cement. If you have money, but no well relationships, or you have well relationships, but no money. If you are spiritual, but broke. And if you are religious but can't make ends meet you are manipulating your current path and you're not bending it to your will pathbender is a concept i've come up with i am a big fan of the wachowskis and my favorite movie by them is cloud atlas my second favorite movie now is The Matrix, which was my first, but now. And at the end of The Matrix Part 1, Neo bends reality to himself after he believes. And that's, that's basically the premise of Pathbender. The truth is, that's not science fiction. 
the idea of bending your path has been here for millennia. Bruce Lee told you, be like water, my friend. This is what it is, okay? I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Now, all these things are important. So this idea of Wu Wei is about you not forcing. And Pathbender is you finding your own path and you're not forcing the events you want. You're not manipulating the events you want. You are creating the events you want. You are the greatest creator to ever live on this planet and no one can create better than you, not now or ever. The third thing I want to tell you, and this may come as an offensive shock to some, but you are God. Uh, you are this life-giving force and I want you to think about it. You're the only species on this planet that can create something out of nothing. For, the, for theologians, way back in antiquity, there's a Latin phrase called ex nihilo. It is a phrase that means out of nothing and how God created this world ex nihilo, out of nothing. And the only life force on this planet that can take nothing and then make a masterpiece is God. But you've been doing that since the day you've been born. Take a piece of paper that has nothing there and out of nothing. J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter. Robert Greene wrote 48 Laws of Power. Out of nothing. The Steven Spielberg produced movies out of nothing. This Denzel create characters that we remember forever. This idea of out of nothing. And you're the only one who can do that. Goldfish can't. Lions cannot. Just humans. You are God. You can find that in Christian texts in which in the book of Mark, the writer exclaims a question by the disciples as they turn towards Jesus and they ask, what manner of man is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, this isn't Christian only thing. You don't have to be Christian, Jew, Muslim to get this. The writer is explaining that even the people, the ascended master Jesus was with on a daily basis had no idea who he was. He was not a man. He was God. 
in man's flesh. And I say the same thing to you. You're not a man. You're not a woman. You perform miracles on a daily basis. What manner of man are you that even blank pieces of paper respect your creative power? And the last thing I want to tell you is Pathbender is about becoming a force, a force to be reckoned with. Scientifically, there's a formula for force. You can look it up yourself. Force equals mass times acceleration. We, we must talk for a little bit. In order to become a force, you need mass multiplied by acceleration. In order for you to become a force, you need energy in one place over and over to become multiplied by the acceleration, the speeding up of something to become a force. Say it again. In order to become a force, Einstein says, all mass is energy in one place times the speed of light twice. You know that as E equals MC squared. Einstein scientifically understood and explained to us that mass is simply thought idea over and over and over a thought. What is the greatest form of energy? Thought energy. A thought over and over and over, moving at the speed of light twice squared, over and over in one place. And once you keep putting energy in one place, in one place, in one place, in one place, that energy ceases to be something invisible and becomes a tangible piece of matter. This is why it's hard to destroy something that exists. Energy can never be created and it can never be destroyed. First law of thermodynamics because once you put energy in a place over and over and over and over again, it takes infinity to destroy what has been created. So in order to become a force, someone like me must teach you how to put your energy Harness your energy into one place over and over and over until it becomes something tangible. And in truth, you have been doing this your entire life. You just haven't been doing it deliberately for your benefit. But everything around you is your thought energy manifested into physical form. The second part of this equation, acceleration is the idea that when you get this piece of matter and you believe in it so much, you see it so much, it is so, it is so tangible that it gains its own speed. And then you put speed on top of that speed because everything in the world is in motion already in vibration. So this idea of acceleration is this idea that the more you speed what you created up, when you multiply that by what you created, you become a force. It's the basis of Pathbender. 
mass times acceleration equals force. And many of you are attempting to become a force on this planet, but the problem is you haven't attracted someone like me yet to teach you how to deliberately create the mass you want in your life and how to deliberately accelerate that so you can be a force. Be like water, my friends. You can go to the event page and catch all of what's included. But I wanted to stand before you and tell you about the intent. I wanted you to feel my energy. I wanted you to see my face. Energy doesn't lie. If you believe like I believe, if there is something about you right now that I am awakening, we are at the same vibration, consider. I wanted you to catch my energy and I wanted you to know that your time is here and you have the power to bend your reality. Join me. Become a pathbender. I've been looking for you. Antonio T. Smith Jr., you can plant better. You can dominate. Mm -hmm.